The intensity has been turned up, but the battle is only beginning. Every game, every period, every shift means that much more. All that's missing is you. It's time to paint the Lone Star State victory green with your Dallas Stars. Be here to experience the excitement as the Stars make their push for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Get your tickets now at DallasStars.com. One state, one team, Texas hockey. Welcome to the Podman Rush, the official podcast of the Dallas Stars. Here's your host, Daryl Razor Ray. Trade. An exchange for something else, typically as a commercial transaction. Deadline. The latest time or date by which something should be completed. You slap them together, you get 33 trades involving 54-ish players before the NHL's atomic clock hits 2 Central Standard Time on March 21st, 2022. Hello, Podman Rushers. Daryl Razor Ray in the flesh. And Mike Heike, fresh from his own personal Trade Center 22 internet or internal show. Uh, Mike, good to have you back on, on the big show here. Thanks for taking the time this morning. Uh, your general takeaway from this year's deadline, and obviously your general takeaway from what the Stars did, the Stars moves, and what general manager Jim Neal was able to onboard before the deadline. Well, I was walking around in my hotel hallway thinking about this stuff. <laughs> Just kidding, you know, some of the reports came out there. <laughs> what? Um, uh, you know, there Is was that some early lo- comedy from you this week, Mike? Yeah, reports from the hallway. I love that. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, the league is interesting in that you can clearly see some teams going for it. And... Uh, I will couch this in a slightly negative way, but yeah, I get a little jealous. You know, when you see a team that's really good go and add Claude Giroux, you're like, oh, whoa, that would be fun. Uh, but that being said, with the um, with the cap situation, what it was and what the needs were, I think Jim Nell did a, a wonderful job of fitting in two important additions for almost no money at all on the cap. Um, and then, you know, for future draft picks. So uh, it definitely helps them now. I don't think it hurts them much in the future. Uh, and it was something they could do. So bravo to him. Yeah, I, you know, you look at it, and I always look at it from the head coach's perspective. Because, you know, sometimes coaches have different needs and wants and desires than what the general manager and, and player personnel, and they have to take this this big 300 foot view of things and the coach just wants to win the game right. that night. That's all he wants. And, you know, bones gets another goalie. He can comfortably start and a forward that he knows uh, it's, it's a known commodity in Nemesnikov, uh who they were together. Well, really they, you know, the goalie was part of things in, in Tampa Bay too, Scott Wedgwood. Um, and I, you know, even leading up to the trade deadline, I, Somebody asked me, you know, what do you anticipate in this and that? I said, well, year after year, just look at at past uh, communications and transactions and look at wherever there are relationships. And that's that usually leads you down a path to where this yeah. is going to go. And again, this year it it followed suit. 
Wedgwood seems like a sort of the perfect backup personality and style uh, coming in here. It's bizarre that they needed to go and get a goalie at the deadline, but you, you kind of saw this coming when, when Braden Holpe couldn't uh, get himself healthy enough to be an everyday guy. Uh, and you just, you know, they, they couldn't go into a, a playoff chase stretch with just Jake and no safety net. So right. um, good move. And, and, you know, more of what this, this group loves, which is depth guys that, that have played significant roles on other teams and, and can play that type of role here with this club. Yeah, definitely. And then I, I always laugh at the, you know, I agree with you, the personalities and the fact that Jim No was able to work a deal with Steve Eiserman, you know, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, the, that's what I mean. Relationships. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying what you're saying. So I was just explaining a little further, but I also laugh at the fact that. Are you, ma- it, are you razor explaining? Is that what you're doing? Yes, I am. I'm okay. razor explaining. Uh, but I also laugh at the fact that if, if you go and have just a tremendous performance against a team, that team remembers you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like third you're, period you're just for like, Wedgwood. Scott Wedgwood, huh? Well, where have we seen him before? Oh, he's yeah. a good goalie. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so all of this worked together. And, uh, you know, it's funny because you look at the relationship between Iserman and Nil, and you needed him to take half the salary. And he did. And so, it's you know, it helps the stars – I'm sure it doesn't hurt the Red Wings. It helps Nemestikov get a chance to go play for a team that's competing for a playoff spot. Yeah. Uh, and so it is. It's, it's, it's good human uh, management of a business, which I think is, is fun. Yeah. When you, when you look at it from a, a team span, uh, standpoint, that's, that's kind of it. And then, you know, toss in student each, uh, who was a, a waiver wire acquisition, but in a lot of ways, you know, it's another – yeah. Another body being onboarded that looks like can fit into your lineup in a role, in a depth role. And, uh, you know, so, and it didn't cost you anything other than a spot on your roster. So, what I, I have a tough time. I, I can't get away from just looking divisional. And I know you shouldn't, the way the playoffs are now, and you're more concerned or as concerned with what's going on in the Pacific and what teams have done there. But I don't know. I, I, I prefer to just look at the central and you look at what the teams have done uh, around the stars in the, in their division, Colorado, you know, Colorado added some pieces that they really haven't had before. Uh, You know, a guy like Josh Manson, there's a lot of teams in the division that feel like they need to man up. It seems like, would you get the same sense? Like a lot of teams added a defenseman, a lot added toughness, it seemed to be kind of the vibe or or the flavor of the year. Uh, just, you know, whether it's grabbing a guy like Delorier in, in Minnesota with the Wild. The Wild made the biggest splash, right? Yeah. Billy Guerin went, went uh, aggressive at the deadline up there. And for obvious reasons, they're not going to look very pretty next year and that when they're in cap hell. But uh, grabbing Marc-Andre Fleury is enormous. I Like... Talbot sometimes has played great. We've seen him, though, where he's going to give you the goal you're looking for uh, yep. as as an opposition. And uh, they f- must have felt the same way because they went out and got themselves a future Hall of Fame netminder. Yeah, and I think down the stretch, 
so in that Calgary series, same thing. I mean, we, you know, we were there. And so you see what Talbot can give you at exactly the wrong time yeah. <laughs> for your team. And now you look at Minnesota, who was, I mean, really playing well, and they had some hiccups. And I think they had hiccups at a time when they're like, okay, we need to do something about this. And Billy Guerin went out and fired up the team plane and uh, got things done. And, uh, you know, kudos to him because you're right. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do with no. whatever they have and, you know, cap hits for the next he, couple of years. He's, he's like the opposite of what I said in the beginning about general yeah. managers and coaches. Like he's living for today like a coach. Yep. And, and it's uh, good. I mean, he has that player mentality. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I was on one of the radio shows. I'm a big shot up in Canada. I listened to you on my way into the <laughs> rink yesterday. You're killing it on NHL Network. I was killing you it. You dropped a couple. Uh, it is interesting on them, too. <laughs> Doesn't resonate the same with them as it does here, but still but wonderful. They were asking about trading Klingberg, and I'm just like, come on. What GM is going to give away a great player when you're in the mix? And and I went back to Joe back in the day when you know they were they were pretty much in bankruptcy or, or right on the edge of it. Right. And and Joe was just marching full steam ahead into we need to win this year. And so that's just the mindset. And obviously, Bill is a former player. I think he has that competitive streak in him as well. And then the situations, it's yeah, situationally motivated for them as well. Um, you know, it's interesting you ask about the toughness. Um, I think what Tampa Bay did last year, it does resonate with people. I mean, oh, they, it, added, yeah. they yeah. added, you know, they sit there and they are the most skilled team in the league. Uh, but eh, maybe they, you know, lack a little bit of grit here. And so they add those key components and it really made a huge difference for them. Uh, so, yeah, it's a copycat league, and I think yeah. you look at that and say, hey, we're Colorado. We're not the grittiest team in the world. Maybe we need to get a little bit tougher. It's always a copycat league until somebody wins it a different way, and then they all have to <laughs> change course and start trying to copy that, which right. is amusing. Uh, Winnipeg ran the white flag up the pole, right? They're, yep. They're done. They keep beating teams. They did the Stars a wonderful service last night. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, but, it's still 20 games left and they can fix it, but they don't. The Vegas does not look good right now. No, they don't, which is terrific. Uh, wonderful <laughs> news. Uh, Nashville added a defenseman, uh, a former Bruin D-man, and uh, St. Louis added Nick Letty, another defenseman. Like It's almost cliche now. You know, they, they all these teams just add more defenseman depth. Yep. We're going to talk about Stars D-Man here in a little bit. But uh, anyway, I, I think the actual tabulation on the trade deadline should be expanded to like, I don't know, 10, a week to 10 days prior to the deadline. Yes. Because, you know, they every year we say like this year, it was what, 33 trades and 54 players. But you're ignoring what happens like a day before or three days before or right. a week before those are deadline deals. Yep. Some teams just get them done a little earlier than, than others. So um, I, I think it's misleading with the, with the league pumps out as far as what deadline deals were. They, they got to hype that Canadian TV to get all that, you know, I guess excitement for the trade. Yeah. Deadline. They can't have a trade deadline show that lasts <laughs> a fortnight. So here we are. We, we know what the 2020 stars are. They're, in their completed form now. So how good are they? It's an interesting question. You know, I like that word interesting. Um, I think they're good. 
I, I look, and again, it, it's any given night, and so much of it depends on Jake, but I look at Minnesota, or I look at Nashville, or I look at St. Louis, and I think, could Dallas go into a seven-game series with any of those teams, which it's a division-centric playoff format now, and, and I do believe they could, I, mean, I don't, I'd flip a coin on most mm-hmm. of those. Uh, Colorado is good and got better. So they are, and that actually is who the stars could play. But point being is you're doing everything you can to be with your divisional bunk mates. And I think on fairly even sledding. Um, the other thing, and I keep holding out hope on this, is they have players who have not hit the numbers they need to hit. And so can a Tyler Sagan, can a Jamie Benn, yeah. can an Alexander Radulov, can a Radic Foxa, can those types of players increase their numbers either down the stretch or in the playoffs? And if they can, then, then this really becomes a tough team to handle. Yeah, I had that deeper down my run list today, Mike, but yeah, you've jumped okay. ahead, which is fine. Uh, I, I think the key to this now is, is what you just stated, the vets, the core, the top tax bracket guys. <laughs> You know, because the goalie, the goalie right now is the best bargain in the National Hockey League, which, yeah. um, and a season saver perhaps with what's gone on in the Stars' crease, uh, the defense core and what they've done over the last couple of weeks in particular, fine. Yep. The mid lineup certainly good. At, at times they look like a, a team that has a superior to most oppositions number one line. A very good power play, and then three third lines. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and three third lines that could be in any combination. Of well, three nine third players, three third lines, but with the potential to have a true second line, like a yep. a, a very explosive second line that that can provide offense and take a little of the load off of the hints line, the top salary guys have to produce. I, I think yep. that, and if they, if they do find it, if they get a little, little, uh, gust in their sales here in the final 20 games on into the playoffs, man, this is, this is an extremely good looking team because if you suspend your evaluation for two months, which we like to do here, <laughs> Every uh, so just suspend it, just skip through the first two months of the season, right? Yeah. Where they were, they were basically a 500 team bumping along and weren't very good on the road and couldn't score. And they were 13 and 14, basically. Uh, they'd lost five in a row in around mid-December. If you just start then, at the end of that five-game losing streak, which is a long time ago, so you've got yeah, a, a pretty good long. little book of, of contests for the Stars – in that span, from the middle of December to now, they have like the second best record in the division, the third best record in the Western Conference, and they're a top 10 team overall over that span. So when you, when you bring that into the consciousness, Lee-er, then you start to think, okay, well, obviously they didn't need to do that much at the deadline if they've been that good for that long. And there's still that tantalizing possibility of some of these guys that just have not been what they have been advertised or have been in past in the first 60 games of the season. 
And you, I, maybe it's wishful thinking to think there's going to be a switch flicked, but the potential is certainly there for it. And if it ever does happen, man, oh, man, oh, man. Huh? Yeah. And add the uh, element of number four returning. And depending on what his health level and energy level is, that that's got to be a pretty significant boost uh, down the stretch. Yeah. You, you keep wanting to jump ahead, Mike. Oh, I'm sorry. Stay I'm on, sorry. You know, like, stay on the run list, if you would, please. I mean, there is. Jordan, guide, Jordan didn't send me the run list. Damn there it. are guidelines to this. I know there is no run list. I'm just <laughs> making it up. Uh, but hey, before we get to Miro and the D-men and all that, may I introduce uh, two teams, or I guess series of teams, that should be embedded into every true Stars fan's hippocampus? Hmm. In the past 40 years, so since the Euler New York Islander dynasties of the late 70s into the 80s, there have been only two teams. I think I'm correct with this. There have been only two teams who lost in the Stanley Cup final and then two years later won the Stanley Cup. Hmm. So it happened in the mid-90s with the Detroit Red Wings, who lost in the final in 95, skipped a year, and then won in 97, won it all. Now, I, I think you're... Now, last year was such a uh, just oddball, goofy, daffy... I don't even know if you can include whatever last year was, right? Because you're yeah. not... You're playing... You're playing in a division that doesn't even include teams in your conference and blah, 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 all that stuff. Anyway, they missed the playoffs. I don't believe the, I don't believe the Red Wings missed the playoffs in '96. No. But uh, so you had that team, and then you had the New Jersey Devils, and you got to fudge reality a little bit here, who lost in '01, and then came back to win it in '03, and uh, that's it. That's them. That's all of it. That's the whole kit and caboodle in 40 years. So you have a Stars team that lost in the Stanley Cup final in 2020. Skip last year. Here we are in 2022. Yeah. Boom. Boom. In theory, too, if you look back to the uh, year before the St. Louis year, uh, this is a team that has been pretty good in postseasons when they get there. I mean, I, I do think you can throw last year out. And, but if you look at how this team has become better in the playoffs, I think your theory may hold in that I do believe when you go through a process like that, you yep. do your players gain experience. They understand the pressure a little bit better. Uh, I think you look at that, you know, the St. Louis year losing in overtime in game seven and then, you know, moving on into the bubble. And, and they were weird situations. Mm -hmm. But the players who are here who didn't have a whole lot of playoff experience now have some pretty serious playoff experience. The Jamie Benz, the John uh, Klingbergs. I mean, those guys went through some pretty significant games. So if you want to draw comparisons of teams that have gotten close and then built on that, I do think you can, you know, you can weave that all into a beautiful razorism. Well, they believe that that it's unfinished business. They've written yeah. it on walls and and 
spewed it out verbally and, and that. And you're right. I mean, hopefully they remember to take a team picture. I want to see that happen with this group. And uh, they have 12 guys that were on that 2020 let's catch lightning in a bubble squad. Uh, so you, you're right. You get experience and calluses build up and there is unfulfilled uh, dreams and aspirations uh, that drive individuals. Now, at the same time, some guys get a little older and and uh, you introduce some guys that might be a little yeastier than they need to be. Um, and you, I think a lot of teams fight that yeasty, moldy mix. But I, I believe in, in – uh, you know, the experience giving you something in key moments. I think you see it sometimes with this team right now where yeah. where they believe even though bad stuff, gunk has happened within a game that they, if they stick to things, they'll, they'll kind of persevere and, and pull through. And they certainly did it last night in another, yeah. in another wild one. Uh, so uh, let's get to that decor that you're so eager to talk about, Mike. <laughs> Uh, the Stars' defense corps have been spackling for Haskin and Hole in the lineup for uh, a couple of weeks now. I honestly didn't think they'd handle it as well as they have. Yes. And, you know, they've gone five and four with, uh, I think, seven of the nine on the road. Is yeah, that right? no, the whole the road the road's been a mess. Yeah, lately. yeah, seven of nine on the road. I think we've had what two one game home stands. Yeah, the one offs. Yeah. Uh, so Ottinger's net mining deserves some major credit mixed in here too. Yeah. It's like nothing, nothing can spackle things better than elite net mining, and Jake's giving them that. Uh, but the top four deserves bouquets, man. Yeah. You know when you look at at Lindell and Klingberg and Ryan Suter, man, oh man, and along with Yanni Hockenpah, not not to just discount the other guys, right. but they've they've leaned really heavily on those top two pairs. And uh, it's been it's been pretty impressive. Yeah, I think a guy like Essa for sure, because you you could look earlier in the year and think, eh, you know, is he really one of the top you know defensive defensemen in the league? He's had some moments here and there, uh, but I think during this stretch he really has stepped up. And then John, you know, I think all of them have though. Mike. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Hawk and Pa, I think got pushed a little hard when he was starting to play 24 and 25 minutes. And there were some holes that were developing in his game. Uh, but now that they've toned him back, um, he, he's a great acquisition for the price they got him for and for the minutes that he plays. Uh, and the fact that he gives him size and a right-handed shot. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all those things have been huge for the team. Uh, and you look at the fact that they didn't get him to, what, the last acquisition of the summer or whatever? Uh, he's been really important. What about Suter, though? I mean, he's, <laughs> he's played – he was playing with Miro, but right. – out of all those guys, he's played the most in the yeah. stretch of, of nine games. He's averaging the the just absolutely bizarre numbers that he did when he was a spry 33-year-old <laughs> with the Wild I, and when he was leading the league in, in time on ice. So I, I had a great interaction with him at one of the little pressers because uh, he was starting to play 24, 25 minutes. And... Uh, and so I said, you know, well, you're used to this. You've probably played 700 games at 25 minutes. And he goes, more than that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I apologize. Yes, yeah. more than 700 oh. games at 25 minutes a game. 
<laughs> oh, there's nothing better than career pride, man. The elite athlete. Uh, it was just so funny because he's like, 700? Are you kidding me? I played a thousand games in 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling you, man, it's, I, I didn't think he at 37 would be able to. No. And again, it, it's, it's a shortish uh, spurt of, of this stuff, but I mean, it, it could have been disastrous. Yes. If they if they couldn't handle this and and the thing that that is I guess most central to all this is Klingberg because there like you said I mean there's so many rumors I told the joke about elephant in the room and all that last night again I think I've told it on this award winning podcast before about <laughs> the elephant in the room and. I bought my friend an elephant for his room. He said thanks. I said don't mention it. Ha <laughs> ha! Comedy. That's what that is. Uh, but it was. I mean, there was John and contract situation, and anytime you you t- tuned into any hockey show somewhere talking about potential trades, I, I think. Elliot and those guys up in Canada had him traded like three months ago and it was a foregone conclusion. And, and I'm like you, I was sitting there and it's like, you know, what are you going to get for him on an expiring contract? If he's not going to sign an extension with somebody, what kind of a hole does that put in your lineup? What kind of a message does that send to your group? And maybe in, in a, completely freaky way the mononucleosis of Miro Haskinen gave them a more clarion view of what they should do on both sides both Klingberg yeah. and and everybody on on the other side coaches and and management because I don't think anybody stepped up more uh, than he has in in the absence of of Haskinen which is not surprising because that's no. John he loves the spotlight he wants to be the guy and he doesn't want to really share it all that much uh and you know he's a point of game guy or over a point of game guy he's a plus player which is probably the biggest thing because he was a minus magnet prior to that yep Uh, he's played way more responsible in in a better rhythm and all that um and i think if they if they get a truly healthy miro haskin and back I can see the potential of a redux of what Miro and, and Klingberg did in the bubble, where they were they were the tip of the spear yeah. for this team offensively, and we ha- we haven't seen it since uh, from from the duo. And I think there's the possibility of that coming back now. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And you're right; that's exactly how they won. Is they you know even uh, Bones talked about how they had the three months off, and they said we need to get these D men involved. And so if they get to that place where they can have Miro and uh, John out there for more than half the game, two-thirds of the game, uh, then that makes them a more dangerous offensive team. Yeah, it does. You echoed my thoughts beautifully there, Mike. Thank you. Um, I've got some – do you want to go into the little uh, one-minute drill here? Sure. It's the it's Razor's esoteric analytic minute. Esoteric's a good word. Three categories to illuminate. Okay. Uh, and play along with this one, Mike, and please chime in. Find some of it interesting if you can. Okay. Number one, 
expected goals against ranking. What do you think of expected goals? I expect I, I expect them to uh, score some goals when they get chances. They eventually did last night uh, after multiple breakaways where they shot it dead into the belly button of Koskinen. Um, and expected goals against, that just means getting saves uh, on stuff that you give up in rhythm, in, in uh, pairings between that. I bring this up because only a couple teams are stingier in this category, expected goals against. Stars are one of the best teams in that regard. Yet, heading into yesterday's game, they ranked 15th in goals against average and 13th in save percentage. But those numbers are climbing uh, sort of here. Although they, you know, give up three and win. This team's pretty good at giving up three and winning all of a sudden, which is good. Your thoughts on expected goals against... Um, I like information. I wonder who is deciding what is a good expected goal and what isn't. Because, uh, you know, we've seen that on the charts. Oh, you're said, poo-pooing well, this Well, no, no, here, I Mike. just, I'm saying, I, I just want, I would like an explanation of what the guy is thinking who is saying this goal is an expected goal right. and this goal is not an expected goal. Um, but that being said, the fact that they are looking at these things is a good thing. For, the, for whoever is using that information, because it's information that is useful. And now, again, we can argue how, just how accurate it is, but the fact mm-hmm. that they're looking at it and seeing it and dissecting it and discussing it uh, is a big thing. And then the other thing is, and I love Jake. I think he's fantastic. But it also does draw a little bit of a spotlight to the fact that he is a, a 23-year-old goalie. And like you, even, you can look down and go, "Ooh, he wants that one back." And and so yeah, they've had some moments where you know, hey, maybe you shouldn't have expected that goal to go in, and it went in. But they've been able to deal with that and then support their young goalie and keep his confidence up. Okay, I think you completely muddied my my expected goals analogy. No, I'm kidding. I, I messed it up. I get IFS every now and then, information fatigue syndrome with some of these these goofy numbers that come in. Um, and, and you're right. You're, you're dead on. Like everybody seems, not everybody, but there seems to be multiple different systems of looking at the, the data and the video. And, uh, but I think over the long haul, you, you, you come up with a pretty fairly sort of accurate. Yeah. Information is a good thing. I really do. And then, and then the, the coaching staff. What about that, disinformation, Mike? Well, is it a good again, thing? again, no, that can it's be not. confusing. No, no it's it not. is not. But I'm saying the coaching staffs that can sort through all this stuff, they can help their team quite a bit, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I mean, I do think that there is, when you, when you start looking at all the analytics and you start discussing it in the room with the coaches, it, it makes you a better team. All right. Well, layman's terms. They seem to be a better defensive team than the actual statistics are telling us. How about that? Number two, ozone possession time. There's only two, maybe three teams that spend less time with the puck in the other team's end of the rink. And this has been a problem all season long. I wish we had that number a lot, like in-game. Remember how they used to... Yeah, There was a time when they gave us on that sheet, okay, this was the time spent in the offensive zone, this was the time spent in the neutral zone, this was the time spent in their own zone. 
And look, your eyeballs tell you that it's like the first period last night against the Oilers. It was like, I think, I think they're spending a lot of time on their back foot here. Yeah. It seems like they're spending a lot of time in their own zone. And, uh, they, it, it see it feels like it's trending very slowly, like molasses dripping slow to the good, to the better in ozone possession time. But I know it's a burr in the overall uh, fanny of of everybody because they understand you got to spend more time down there. You, you can't just rush up the ice one and done and then back chasing the other team. Uh, in your own zone a little bit and trying to get out of your own end of the rink. So that, that's, that needs to flip here a little bit for th- this team to really reach, I think, its potential. That's my thought on ozone yeah. possession time. You are correct. The shot attempts is one that you know can kind of indicate ozone possession time. And they used to be, I remember John used to be one of the best players in the league in plus minus on shot attempts at even strength. And, and, you know, as we saw earlier in the year, he was terrible. And Essa has, you know, been down. So, yes, as a team, if they possess the puck, if the D-men move it forward, if, you know, even the, the – I know the fans get tired of this, but even the I'm checking line – I'm already tired of it, and I'm talking the, about it. The checking line, when they go in there and they cycle the puck for 45 seconds and never get a shot on goal, uh, that's actually a, a good thing because yeah. now you're – the other team's defending, and it's usually their best players who are defending. Yeah, game. it's it's running the ball in yeah. football. It's yep. same idea. Yeah, we all want to see them air it out, uh, but at the same time, what do they always say on every Sunday in the NFL that uh, they need to establish the run? Well, the Stars need to establish the cycle yes, and be able to wear down the other side a little bit and maybe outchange them and get an advantageous – match up on the ice or uh, get tired guys out there on the other side and tired guys usually either make defensive coverage mistakes or take penalties. Yeah. And one of the reasons for a long time that the stars didn't get on the power play as much as it seems like they should is because they would go down there and, and it was almost like they were all hyped up trying to get a scoring opportunity, put the puck in the net and and then boom, it's out of the zone again. Yeah. And, and they, and that that top teams seem to be able to to do that, lean, you know, on their forecheck and lean on their cycle game and do that. Yeah, and put the puck in the right place too. I mean, because counterattack hockey is huge in the NHL today with all the speed. So if you well, if you're putting the puck in the right place, then you're helping to avoid the other team going the other way. Yeah. Okay, we've had a lot of people just turn away from the podcast in the last four minutes here, but I, we'll I told continue you to stay on. Stay away from analytics. Got one more. I got one more. <laughs> this one trends away from the actual uh, deep X's and O's and analytics and and uh, digital data, and more into just oh, that's interesting. Oh no! In to quote a uh, Mike Heike, a <laughs> surrendered third period leads. Oof. So last night against the oil in just a fabulous hockey game. I love everything about games like last night. Yeah. Uh, but that was the first time that the stars had a third period lead at any time, allowed the other team to tie it, but then went on to win it in regulation time. Now, having said that, they have a pretty 
stunning record when they do squander a lead in third periods. Yep. Uh, you know, they're now, that, that's 12 times now. They're 7-4-1 and one when they give up the lead in the third. Isn't that amazing? Well, the nine and one overtime. <laughs> well, they're say, I was going to say, well, six six of the first eleven were overtime victories. Yeah, yeah, it does it does help, uh, but I think it what it what it uh, sort of underscores is uh, internal desire to win. Yes, I really do. I really believe that that you know there have been times and there are other teams that. When that happens, it's it's like oh my god, a bad thing happened. Now another bad thing happened. Now we're screwed, and they they just mull on it for a while and live in their little wallowing depression and lose the hockey game. Right. And it looked like it was heading that way last night, uh, and it looked like it was heading that way in in Montreal on the road trip, and then all of a sudden the John Klingberg experience, and last night the hints Gurion up, bam bam, and. And uh, they changed the whole dynamic of the game and the outcome. Yeah, and I like that. I think it's I think it's an important and and uh, something that should be highlighted because it's part of their DNA. It seems like. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And and you look well, at you should I know because you're smart. Well, you're it's smart not just guy. that, but I pointed this out. I've laid it out for you. You have. Thank you. So it's you're like welcome. a it's like a volleyball setter putting me up for the spike. <sighs> I don't think they the ever call it spike games. anymore, but they just oh, hit. Yeah. Anyway, go on, anyway. Mike. Wrap this thing up. I will wrap it up. Um, you look at guys like uh, Pavelski. I think he's the the perfect example of whatever. You know, like I asked him about Jake and not having any wiggle room, and you know, because hey, he's got to go on back to back nights, and he couldn't get pulled when oh you know he was God. having a bad game, and he just looks at me like, "Are you effing kidding me?" Yeah, he's a hockey player. He wants to play. Okay. We're, By we're, effing, we're you mean players. friggin'. Is that what you were going with? Uh, fantastic. Are you fantastically kidding me? Are you fantastically me? goofy? <laughs> uh, but he really looked at me like, do you not get this? We're hockey players. We want to win. We're going to do what we need to yeah. do to win. And it, it, he really feels it in his soul that, okay, so we're down. All right, let's go tie this up. Let's go win this game. And he, you know, he really truly believes that and he carries himself that way. And you see guys like uh, Robertson uh, last night was saying the same thing. He goes, yeah, we went to the bench and you just looked in people's eyes and they're like, yeah, we're going to win this game. And it's kind of fun. I mean, cause I would be out there just in full panic myself. That's why you write for DallasStars.com, though, Mike. <laughs> I know. The, uh, and, but, but that is born out of, out of, having done it before and that's yeah where i get back to what they did and have done in past and i think we told the story because it was the oilers last night or i told the story of uh, when they were in edmonton it must have been 2018 or 19 and jamie ben had not scored in like a month he was he was just on an epic slump uh, and they were they were getting uh, Dreisaitl and McDavid did for two periods. And then all of a sudden, the you know Tippett and the Oilers staff just stopped playing those two guys in the third period. And it opened yeah. the door for the Stars to, to come back in the game. And Tyler tied it late, and Jamie won it in overtime. And we were talking to guys after, the, after that game and that. And for me, that was sort of the, the origin of, of Joe Pavelski and that type of attitude that you just spoke of yeah. 
and the osmosis that that comes from that. Like he's the catalyst of it, but he he just told everybody like relax, like we're 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 good. We we yeah. we're going to we're going to come back. We we've got it in here and we'll go play and we're going to win this hockey game. And and then they did. It's one thing to say it, yeah. but you got to back it up and actually do it. And they did. And then from that, I think there is that belief now that okay, some bad gunk has happened to us here. Whatever, raise your eyebrows and and uh, you know shake it off a little bit here and focus on the task at hand and get going. Yeah, and it's a wonderful thing to have in your in your chamber. Uh, when you get into situations like this, because you're going to get into a lot of them uh, like that, and they got into one last night, and you know they're they're top D pair on the ice, and still they they couldn't do anything about it. That would I think I think last night's game in some ways, and I know the Oilers had played the night before in in Colorado and all that, but those are the type of games that I think resonate around the Western Conference where it's like, oh okay, well these Dallas Stars apparently have a little. Uh, can't kill in their in their repertoire, and especially in in their building, they're going to be a difficult crew to to handle if they get in, and and even in the games leading up to getting in, when uh, you, you're looking there and you're thinking, okay, will the Oilers have them tonight? Or you're looking at the game in Washington and you're like, okay, the you know Ovechkin and the Caps are rolling and they're going to win that one, and nope, right. Jake put stands on his head and. Uh, they get enough, and they get through, and the power play, bang, bang for them. Uh, you know, they scored two power play goals against a penalty kill that allowed 12 power play goals on home ice in the first 60-some-odd games in the season. Yeah. And they just keep, they keep kind of doing this thing. That's why I've, I've said endearingly so that they're a bunch of cockroaches. You just you can step on them and hit them with a broom and whatever you want, and they just kind of, okay, whatever, and move on. Yeah, and the other aspect of that is they do have some players who are special. Like, so you watch McDavid and you just know he's on the ice and you're just worried every time he's out there. And now you start looking and you're going, oh, Rope hints. Oh, he can do some pretty amazing things. And so in addition to having all the depth and having whatever it is that they have, analytically speaking, they have a few players who can do things that other players can't. And that's that's really fun. I mean, that goal by Rope was really nice. Wow, that I'm going to use that if you don't mind. Really nice. What did you think of the hints goal, Razor? I thought it was really nice. <laughs> he goes, I think you nailed that one. You are a wordsmith. Uh, no, he he <laughs> he is now the the uh, the caveat to all that and the concern would be that yes. You're right, but it's always the same three names that keep coming up over and over and over and over. And it was the same thing last night. It's wonderful if, if it leads to where they got to, but the Stars give up the first goal. This first time this season, the Oilers have lost when uh, scoring the first of the game. They were 21-0. and uh, And then it's Robertson, Pavelski, a couple of Oiler goals, and then Hints. <laughs> And you're like, same as it ever was. It just yeah. keeps going over and over and over again. And and especially on home ice where uh, they, there's no answer for them at American Airlines Center most games. Yeah. There, there just is no answer for them. No. And it's fun. I mean, I have to say, as, as fans, 
Like that, that was a fired up building last night. And they, you know, as, as Rick always says, they got their money's worth on that one. Yeah. Uh, and the, and um, for a boring team, these fans have had some pretty exciting games at home. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and a lot of winning, uh, you know, yeah. 20, 21 times already they've been able to rock that place. So that's been fun. And, uh, and they got, they got paid off before the game and then they got paid off late in the game, you know. 5,000 through the doors. They were lined up around the block. Some said all the way to uptown, uh, waiting to get in and get their uh, Daryl Razor Ray bobblehead last night. And then ultimately, final five minutes, uh, epic rally from the boys to to win it. I mean, my God, that that is a that is a win. That is a jubilation sandwich in the jubilee year of the boy. True. Yes. And it's funny because uh, Tom Holy also has a bobblehead and I was giving him a little bit of a hard time. But like, are you trying to downgrade my bobblehead? No, no, no. I'm saying that might be the greatest honor in the world. All these Grammys and Emmys and whatever it is you have on your shelves, uh, you know, the uh, great elk and moose that you've hunted and, and put on your walls. Uh, and you're painting a picture of me being Hemingway or something, but whatever. I think you are. Keep going, Mike. You have a bobblehead. I know. I know. Like we were trying to come it, up give with Give this the, to your kids and go, here's a present. It's your dad. <laughs> yeah. The the great handsome Johnny Sponsler produces our radio side and it runs our tape room and uh, Bally television world uh, said that they've always taken bobbleheads home and then shot them with pellet guns. So <laughs> I was like, I'll be really disappointed if you don't. Just deconstruct my face on mine with with a pellet or BB gun. Show um, you the slow motion. Uh, yeah, oh yeah! Oh my god! Can on. you imagine now with the Instagram? Yes, <laughs> just me taking one after another right <laughs> between the eyes on my little bobblehead. Uh, but we were trying to come up with a Mount Rushmore of, of bobbleheads around here, and I forgot about Holy. Although that wasn't a stars. It wasn't here, right? No, because I, we were thinking Victory Green, uh, yep. who had his, uh, Groobs, who I believe had his with the uh, Frisco uh, AA baseball team, right? Yes. Rough yes. Riders? Yep. Uh, me, last night, and introduced with the Bobblehead Bobblehead World. And I, I've, it's just escaping me the fourth. Hmm. Maybe it hasn't come yet. Maybe. Maybe there's a Mike Ike bobblehead no, on the road. No, that's not happening. But I, I was funny because I was giving Tom a hard time, and, and I same with you. Like, that's a great honor to think that you have done something to impress the masses so much that they want to make you into a bobblehead is a pretty cool deal. Well, the masses didn't make it. They were just well, looking for some kind of a marketing thing for I, I think the, the dog days were, of the season, and they went with, hey, let's make a bobblehead a razor. Why not? The, the masses were rattling the uh, prison bars saying, we need a bobblehead. <laughs> but you're, you know, you're not completely wrong. You're only 90% wrong because <laughs> okay. it is, it is an important thing. I'm very flattered by it, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but there is a national bobblehead hall of fame. Hmm. Let that sink in for a minute. There you go. It opened in 2019. So it, it's relatively fresh. Do you know where it is? Mm, Cleveland? 
You're close. It's in Milwaukee. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. I think the Bowling Hall of Fame is there, too. Okay. Uh, I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's in Cleveland, right? It was. That's why I was trying to be funny. Oh, okay. Well, uh, trying. Trying. I know. I Heavy know. on the trying. Somebody is in their car laughing right now. I know they are. They <laughs> always do. I'm just teasing you. Uh, bobbleheads date back to the late 1700s. They were, uh, as they are today, a production of... Uh, China, and uh, uh, they they were <laughs> nodding head figures that yes. were that were made for England and uh, Europe and their titillation. And then in the 1900s, uh, ceramics were introduced in Germany, and they had bobbleheads made out of, of ceramics. Of course, baseball was the first introduction of them here in North America. Maris mantle maze. Clemente, uh, the first, they were the first non-mascot bobbleheads in 1960. Let that one sink in for a bit too. The first uh, yeah. non-mascot ones. So I don't, I, I'm not that disgraced or disgusted by being second fiddle to, to Vicky Green. That, that's just no. the natural order of things. Yeah, you should be just happy to be in that group. The Beatles were bobbleheaded in 1964. So you have the Beatles, and then I think you jump completely forward to last night. Yeah. And uh, and my bobblehead night at American Airlines Center. And you want to mark your calendars, everyone, because I know you, many of you now believe that March 22nd is National Bobblehead Day because that was my day. But it's, in fact, January 7th. Oh. That, and I'm going to push, now that I have a bobblehead, I will be pushing for January 7th to be recognized as a national holiday uh, where businesses and schools are closed for the day as we acknowledge all of us who have had our reasonable facsimiles uh, put into a mold and produced on a spring with our heads whacking around a little bit uh, as a bobblehead. So there you go. That's th that's more information than you're ever going to get <laughs> on bobbleheads. And with that all worthwhile. With that I believe we should we should get out of here because that's that's the unnecessary uh fr from the interweb Mike Heike and the nodding razor boy uh, we should go out like lambs here. I thought we'd come in like like lions at the beginning of the month here, Mike. Yeah, and we now did. we'll just ease our way out like lambs. We want people to be calm. Mike, thanks for thanks for being you. And all of you out there, thanks. Those of you who enjoyed Bobblehead Night, uh, flattered by it, enjoyed it, loved it. I'll keep one on my shelf in here be a part of everything and it was part of the Windporium last night he has his own oh. little show now mike he's got his own little show bobblehead razor go stars <laughs> see ya you've been listening to the Podman rush with daryl razor ray an official production of the dallas stars to stay up to date on all things stars visit dallasstars.com or download the official nhl app today